Father, this morning, we thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. Another day in the land of the living. Another day to praise you. Another day to seek your face. Another day to serve you. Every day on earth is a blessing, Lord. That we can run our race. We can store, dig on earth and store in heaven. One more day, Lord, in that race to earn that crown. One more day to put right the wrongs of the past. One more day. Oh, Father, help us to see differently, Lord. The eternal nature of this call. And to value time. Because only now we have time. Day is coming when time will be rolled up. And eternity will begin. So we thank you for today. We thank you, Lord. Nine hours are up. And we have another 15 hours left. And so much can be done. For you. Through you. In that 15 hours, Lord. We just surrender ourselves, Lord. Touch us. Speak to us. Use us for your glory. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We've been on a course. I don't know where we begin and as we go on. Looking at the kingdom, the king, the spirit of God, who is the one who brings the kingdom in and through us. And we looked at the two sides of the Holy Spirit as fire. And we saw the need for an altar. But the altar without fire makes no no meaning. Because, uh, and we also saw, like, God looks for one man. No? The history of God, if you look through the Bible, is usually through one person. And then God gathers set of people around him, or sometimes nobody gathers around him. In Ezekiel, right, thirty-three twenty, God says he looked for one man. Uh, 30, 30, 30, 30. No, 33, 30. He says, 33, 30. Yeah, I looked for one man. Oh, where did I go wrong? Hmm? I looked for, how could I get family verses? Uh, 22, 30, not 30, 22. Sometimes your memory plays tricks. 22, 30. I sought for a man among them who would make a wall. One man who would stand. Okay, one man. And you will see it begins with, if you look at that man, it begins with God in the Garden of Eden, moves over to Abel. Okay, only Abel's sacrifice is accepted and it moves on like that. And we also saw there is an altar that defines everything. Like in the Hindi service, I said about Noah. Noah did three things. He built an ark, he built an altar, and then he planted a vineyard and he fell. 
ke he fell. Three things. His entire life is defined by three things. But the end was not so good. He planted a garden, a vineyard, and then he fell. Then when you talk about Elijah, because we came to Elijah. Elijah's entire life is about uh, two words. He prayed. He prayed. Okay. And we looked that also on Sunday evening that God is not looking for a man who preaches. God is not looking for a man who works. God is always looking first for a man who prays. That's where he begins. Always. So it says Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. When we are introduced to Elijah in First Kings chapter 17, verse 1, this is the introduction of Elijah. Elijah, despite of the inhabitants of Gilead, said to have as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand. So where did he stand before God? In his prayer closet. That's where God saw him. Okay, that's where God saw him. You always need to realize that's where God, okay? That's where Jesus stood and that's where Jesus still stands. God is always looking for a man who prays or a woman who prays. A praying person. We want to be a prophet. We want to be an apostle. We want to be a pastor. We want to be this and that and all. But God is looking for anybody who will first be found before him in prayer. Okay, that's, that's the beginning of, uh, apostle Paul. Okay. Nobody has any clue, but God says, go to that street, go to the house of Judas straight. Behold, he prays. That's his beginning. Behold, he prays. We talk about all these other things, but we need to realize his beginning is God noticed him praying. Okay, And that's why he says, you don't worry about it. When you pray, go into your closet, shut the door, and your father sees you in secret, will reveal you or bless you in public one day. These people were found in their closet probably weeks, months, days. Nobody saw them. Then they were declared to the world by God. How many years Elijah prayed? We do not know. But one day he's just standing before the king. And the king and the whole might of the world, the powers of darkness, realize they have no power over this man. So please remember, this is where it is so important. Okay, And then God takes that man through stages, through Kerith, through Zarephath, and now he's standing on Mount Carmel. And we saw this thing. And we saw people standing between two opinions. We saw all that. Now, if you go back to First Kings chapter 18 and verse 30, then Elijah says, come near me, right? That's 30, right? He said to all the people, come near to me. So there was this call of God that calls. Okay, every day there is this call in the morning when we wake up now. Come near me. You know, come near me. Facebook calls you, WhatsApp calls you, you know, TV calls you, wife calls you, children call you, okay? Through it all, there's this call of God saying, come near me. So all the people came near to him. They came near to him. And scripture says, he repaired the altar. And that's where we are stuck. Because if you do not know what an altar means, in the shadows we learn from the pictures from the old covenant, if you don't understand what an altar is, how do I repair my altar? Because this is not a physical structure which we are, we are, uh, working on now. We are working on a spiritual structure. But to understand the spiritual, we need to know the letter. Okay, so the pictures are there in the old covenant and uh, we've been looking at it. We've been looking at it because after like the the Holy Spirit through whoever he used over the ages, 
when he put the Bible together as a book and gave it to us. Um, the New Covenant doctrinal text does not begin with Thessalonians, though it was the first one written, or James, which was written before that. It begins with Romans, and Romans is where doctrine begins. So after the first 11 chapters of setting, like it's an incredible thesis of logical about the gospel, logically put together till chapter 11, and then the response to this entire argument is Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. If you have been convinced by the argument of God, he makes to our reason, to our man, our emotions, our will, everything. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world. That is where the people now, instead of standing in the middle, come near to God. Okay, come near to Elijah. You move from the world, but by the transforming of the renewing of your mind, you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. But you need to realize this entire thing is an act of sacrifice. But you cannot have a sacrifice unless it's an altar. It's an altar. Because a sacrifice demands an altar demands an altar. That's the difference. I have this feeling in my mind because nobody saw it in eternity. God will show you. I have this feeling in my mind is that when Cain and Abel comes, Cain has no altar because he's bringing fruit of the ground. There's no altar. There's no altar. Abel has an altar because he's offering something that needs to be burnt. To be burned. You don't burn an apple or an orange or anything. You just offer it. Okay, so one guy is approaching God with his labor, but there is no altar there. Another guy has an altar, he builds his altar, and there is an offering, and there is fire, and the sacrifice goes up. Okay, so we need to realize, because a lot of people try to approach God with their works, but they don't realize there is no altar there, and there is no sacrifice there. God does not want that. God wants us to come based on an altar and a sacrifice, so please keep that. In our mind. So we were looking at Abraham. We were looking at Abraham. And I, like I said to um, Dr. Richard Gardit that day, I said I, I missed it on Sunday morning. Sunday morning, did I preach or Pastor Vijay preached? I preached, no? <laughs> so confused. <laughs> so confused. We are really confused because we preached so many times, okay? So what happened is that when I went back and like afternoon, I was just recapping the whole thing. Then God said, you missed something. So let's go back to what I missed. Romans, sorry, uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, 7, and 8. Because Abraham is, see, when we go, see, there is this movement that has been happening from the time of uh, the apostles down till today, going back to our Jewish roots, they say. See, we should go back to our Jewish roots, but by faith to our father Abraham. And learn from him, not to the, the calendar of the Jews and the rituals and the sacrifices and the festivals. If you truly spiritually go back to our Jewish roots, we learn from Abraham and the patriarchs, their acts of faith, because he is the father of our faith. Okay? So he comes into Canaan, enters into Canaan after so many years of hearing the word of God, the voice of God. He passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as uh, far as the turban Shechem, that's how you pronounce it, right? Shechem, he's the Hebrew here, I am the Gentile. As, <laughs> as far as the terrible tree of Moreh, and the Canaanites were there in the land. 
And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your descendants I will give this land. And there he built an altar. So the first altar was not at Bethel. It was at Shechem. It was not at altar. So I missed one altar. The problem is, you cannot miss the altars of Abraham. Because you miss the, miss the altars of Abraham. As a child of Abraham, you miss your altar too. You cannot miss his altar. Like I said, we don't learn so much of altars from Isaac. We learn so much about wells from Isaac. Okay, from Abraham, the father of our faith, and the next father is Isaac, the next father is Jacob, and then you learn from Joseph. Okay, and then Moses comes, the law comes. You can't miss this. The first altar he built, okay, God appeared to Abraham as Shechem, and he built his first altar. Now, the significance of this altar is, from there, verse 8 says, he moved. And he pitches his tent with Bethel on one side, Aya, and he built another altar. That is his second altar. So he has an altar at Shechem. He has altar at Bethel. He has an altar at um, uh, Hebron. And then he has an altar at Moriah. So you have four altars, actually, in his life. Now, if you come to Shechem, the Hebrew meaning of Shechem is shoulder. Okay, it means shoulder. Now, you need to know that when we walk by faith, one of the fundamental things why people dislike to walk by faith and struggle to walk by faith is that when you walk by faith, your weaknesses are exposed. Your weaknesses are exposed. You cannot walk by faith in your strength because walk by faith is the only person who can acknowledge he is weak before God can walk by faith. Walk by faith. Okay. So the walk by faith is not a very pleasing thing for the old man because all his skills and strength are not acknowledged. So for to walk by faith, our first is, that's why people struggle with the concept of salvation by faith. Okay. Salvation by faith. Okay. So we have to acknowledge our weakness. And receive God's strength. Now if you need to understand, if you look in terms, that's how the incredible the Bible is, okay, as you dig deeper and deeper and deeper, and God reveals, only those who are interested, you know. The strongest part of your body is your shoulder. What you cannot pick or lift with your hand, you can lift with your shoulder. With your shoulder. It's with your shoulder, okay. The shoulder is a place of strength. What you cannot lift with your hands, you can lift with your shoulder. You know, that's, I mean, I have tried it and I realized that the fireman's lift is a very powerful lift. That what you can't lift a person, a child with your, or I mean a heavy person, a person heavier than you with your hands, you can put it below and lift them with your shoulders. That's called a fireman's lift. Okay, because that's how firemen bring people out of a burning house because even if the person is heavier, your shoulders are so powerful compared to your hands, you don't use your hands to lift that person. You bend, turn the person around, use your shoulder and lift the person up. And you can carry the person out. Okay, You can carry the person out. So you need to realize that's where God meets him. That's where God meets him. Okay, That's where God meets him. Okay, That's where we actually encounter the strength of God. We put down our strength, acknowledge we are weak, and we experience the strength of God. Now from on, everything Abraham goes to do 
or will do or should do is based on the promises of God. So this is where God gives him his promises. Appears before him and renews the promises. I will bless you, everything. He meets the promise giver. To your descendants, I will give this land, he said. Okay. Now earlier he had heard, but now there is a personal encounter with the living God and face to face a promise is given. And now he's going to walk through this land in the strength of God. Okay. We are called to come to this place. We are called to this, come to this place. Okay. Now understand. Okay. Let me try to put it across. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 10 to 11. We know that he who has entered his, his rest. Okay. Not my rest. His rest. My rest is when I have got everything in my control. His rest is when I have given everything into his control. Now, these are two absolutely opposite experiences. Okay, opposite So, when Abraham enters into the promised land, he is entering into a strange place. He is never there. He has doesn't know anybody and anything about this place. Now, he is entrusting himself into God's and God meets him there. Now, he is going to lean on God's shoulder. God is going to carry him through. Okay, this is a point. Okay, you can leave, okay, so we have to be diligent to enter into that rest. Constantly by faith enter into that rest. That is why life is not easy for a believer. The minute life becomes easy for a believer, we have entered into our rest. Our rest. That's why the, the believer is taken from test to test to test to test. And it's a test of our faith. Test of our faith, okay. So you need to realize there is a position. Um, if you look at, uh, Jacob has 12 children. We know the names of all 12 of them. But the special child in that, like for us, the special child for us, we learn from all of them, or because they are all prophetically mentioned. A special child for us is Benjamin. Because one thing about Benjamin is that you read the entire book of Genesis, Benjamin never opens his mouth. He never talks. He never says anything. He's never involved in any plot against Joseph. Never involved in any plot against Joseph. He never speaks. But he will always say without speaking, he always has favor. He always has favor. Okay? And that is the rest into which God. What happened to Benjamin is that Benjamin, when he's with Jacob, he's entered into Jacob's rest. When he is in the presence of Joseph, even though he doesn't know Joseph, Joseph knows him. He's entered into Joseph's rest. Okay? Into Joseph's rest. So he's always carried. He's always carried. So if you look in Genesis chapter 43, verses 29 to 30, though his other brothers have come earlier, now all are there. Scripture says in verse 29, he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. There's a difference between the other ten brothers and Benjamin. The other ten brothers are the sons of his father. Benjamin is the son of his father and mother. Okay, that's his own brother. Now his heart yearned for his brother. 
yearn for his brother. Okay, that's what God is talking about. There is something about Benjamin which the others do not have. Because there is a division among them. On one side they belong to his father, but on the other side they belong to another. So they are represent those who are divided. Benjamin is a whole. Benjamin. And with, it's easy for Joseph to identify with Benjamin. And God is saying, is it easy for Jesus to identify with you? Are you a whole? Separated, completely identified with Joseph. And Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep and he went into the chamber and wept there. He wept. Okay, so you need to realize Jesus crying over his ten brothers and his crying over Benjamin are different. Please understand these concepts. Okay, are not the same. And then they are all eating. And verse 34 says this about how they are served. Yeah, verse 34, same chapter. He took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and they were all seated according to the rate. And they had no clue how did they get this. Joseph get their order so correct. Everybody is seated according to their age. And Benjamin has the end. But Benjamin has five times over. Why? Because he is the recipient of God's grace. Grace only comes through faith. And faith means you acknowledge and surrender yourself completely to the mercy of Jesus or Joseph in this picture. You don't rebel against Jesus. You are completely surrendered. Okay, so you will be wondering why is this, how is this connected with the altar? At Shike, right? Then later when he reveals himself also in chapter 45 verses 14 and 15. 45 words, 14 and 15. Okay, that's when he reveals himself. Finally, he sends everybody. He fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. First, he fell on Benjamin's neck and wept. And scripture says, Benjamin wept on his neck. It does not say his brothers wept with him. They were probably fearful. Okay, they are saved, but ashamed and fearful. Okay, Benjamin on the other hand, all his life on earth has been rooted on Jesus. Benjamin represents the set of people who are crying every day, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, my eyes are up, I'm waiting for you, I'm longing for you. So when Benjamin sees Jesus and the other brothers who sees Jesus, the response is not the same. Response is not the same. Okay. So we'll wonder now, what is this got to do with Shiken? Right? We have to come to that point. The first point is where we lean on God. Deuteronomy 33 and verse 12. Okay. Benjamin, he said, the beloved of the Lord shall dwell in safety by him. Who shelters him all the day long? He shall dwell between his shoulders. And that's what you do with your little children. You put them over and you carry them. Upstairs, downstairs, on the field, whatever, you put them on. And Benjamin dwells between his shoulders. Okay. That's the first thing God wants us to be. In grace, when you are living by grace, the first thing he wants you to come to Shechem and experience his rest. He's not asking you to do anything. 
you look over there, Benjamin doesn't do anything. I'm not asking you to do anything first. So the first call of God is experience that shekin. Okay, in Matthew 11 verse 28, this is what God says. Jesus says, all those who are weary and heavy laden, right? All those who are weary, come to me all who labor and heavy laden, who are feeling this weight of life, of sin, tension, anxiety, whatever it is. God says, what will I give you? I will give you rest. Our first encounter with God is at Shechem. Not at Bethel. If you skirt Shechem and go to the house of God, you will not find rest. First, you have to lay down your burdens. If I'm right, it's First Peter 5, 7, where God says, cast all your cares, because he cares for you. No, and this is, this Shechem experience has to be there every day. Morning, you cannot uh, get up anxious and then go through the day. You have to make a choice, irrespective of what you're going through. You will meet God at the altar at Shechem and cast your burdens. Cast your burdens over there at Shechem. No? And he says, come, come to me. Come to me. Okay, come to me. And you need to realize people carry this. People carry this. And that burden pulls them down. Pulls them down. That burden pulls them down. Okay, so the first, first altar is important. And this is the altar to whom God is calling us. Okay, God is calling us. He says, first, he says, come to me all who labor and heavy laden. Okay, everybody is laboring under the weight of sin. Nobody, I mean, that's why you see, you know, everything that's happening in the world is an expression of sin. Whether it is excitement or depression. Whatever people are doing is just a result of sin. And God says, I don't want your work. I don't want your work. Your work means nothing to me. I want you to come to my rest first. I want you to come to my rest first. That is the work, the burden. If you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 10. I want two verses there. I want two versions there. Okay. Yet it please, we'll go to NIV also. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you shall make his soul as an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. You shall make his soul, okay, you shall make his soul, if you look at it, an offering for sin, okay. If you look at the NIV, both translations are correct, okay. And though the Lord makes his life water, Guilt offering. Okay? Guilt offering. You need to realize that these two, why are these two words used by the editors? In one place it is a sin offering. The other place it is a guilt offering. You need to realize, you have to have both this picture. The outward objective fact is I sin. The inside subjective fact is I walk in guilt. Walk in guilt. There are these two sides of it. Outwardly you sin. Inwardly you carry the guilt. Okay? Inwardly you carry. And guilt is the weapon of the enemy. Guilt is the weapon of the enemy. While conviction is the instrument of the Holy Spirit. You sin and you carry the guilt. The devil is very, very like I tell you, he's one of the best salesmen, if not the best salesmen in the world. Okay? He tempts you to sin. And then he loads you with guilt. 
loads you with guilt. Okay, meaning he sells you a, a faulty car. In the rest of your year, you are repairing, repairing. Finally, you end up and say, my gosh, I paid more than what I paid for the car. And nobody wants it to, to buy it from you either. You go to any workshop, they will say, throw it in the trash heap. Okay? He tempts you. He cannot make you sin. Okay? He tempts you to sin. And then weighs you down with guilt. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation, strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast out. What does he do? How can he accuse you? Because of your guilt. Day and night he accuses us before God. And that is the weight people carry. <laughs> that is the weight people carry. That is the load. I mean, we do not know, like, when he finally enters into the promised land, you know. And uh, once he enters enters into the promised land, you should be feeling good. But you're feeling bad. Because you know God had called you years and years and years ago. You had heard the voice of God. Abraham knows. The hour of the Chaldeans. And then you moved a little. And you stuck at Haran. And then you lived there for a long time. Then your father died. And you heard the same voice again. Now go. And, you know, so you're not entering happy. Okay. You're way down with guilt. No, Way down with guilt. Okay. You're way down with guilt. Okay. And scripture says, this fellow accuses him day and night. No point, Abraham. <laughs> your time is up. Now you entered, okay, live and die. Okay, it's, it's pointless. Okay, so God meets us at that first altar first. Cast your burden. Cast your burden. Okay, don't labor. Bring it here. Don't go do anything today first before you have cast it all here. And scripture says, this is the fellow who is the accuser. He causes us to sin. Okay, delayed obedience is sin. Okay, it's, it's sin. It's not accepted by God. It is sin, but God meets him there. Okay, meets him there. So at the altar at Shikim is what is where you lay down your guilt at Jesus' feet. Okay, because he took it for you. God made him a sin offering and God made him a guilt offering. Both. Both he made. If he was only a sin offering, then only my outward act has been taken care of. My inward remorse is not taken care of. I'm still carrying it. And people don't realize Jesus has done both done both. You have not only been forgiven for your act, you're no longer guilty. You don't have to carry that with you. You don't have to carry that with you. Okay, that is what Revelation uh, 12, 11 will say. Look at what 11 says. How did it, How did they overcome? They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's how they overcame him. The work of Jesus Christ. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. So what do you, how do you repair the altar at Sishem? So when you're repairing the altar, the first brick, if you want to break down the four altars into four pieces, okay, of uh, three pieces each, okay, three pieces each, because four threes are twelve, that day he put twelve to stones representing Israel and made an altar off, okay, so the first block has three pieces, 
Okay, I don't know how it became three because actually I got three here. Okay, okay, because the three things you have to handle at Shechem is guilt, shame, and rejection. Without handling these three, you will not go forward. Even if you go for one hand tied, always pulling you back. You know, God has called us to celebrate the freedom in Christ. You know, that freedom he gives us, that freedom is actually inside. Like today's morning devotion, Abel was talking about yesterday's home. How did these people in such unbelievably horrible conditions celebrate their freedom? Because they were free inside. System can incarcerate you and put you in a dungeon. But you are free inside, you are free. Nobody can stop that freedom. Liberty cannot be taken away. Liberty is experienced inside. Because God has set you free first inside from guilt. Imagine you are sitting in prison. That's why Joseph is able to sit in prison and ask how what's happened to you looking downcast because he's not guilty. Everybody else there is guilty. He's not guilty. He knows his sin. He's not even presumed innocent. He knows his innocent. I haven't done anything wrong before God or to man. No weight of guilt over him. No weight of guilt over him. No? And that's what God is taking to us. Now if you go to Proverbs 28 and verse 13. How do we go through? Apply the blood. How do we? He who covers his sins will not prosper. God says don't cover your sin. Don't cover your sin. Okay? But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. So the first thing God says, what happens at the altar is, there is an uncovering. Uncovering. Okay? You go to your altar with God early in the morning, whenever it is your time with God. You go and first thing what you do, you uncover. The devil wants you to cover it. Because then he can use it. But once you uncover it, he loses power over it. He loses power over it. Okay, that's why we have all those wonderful uh, examples which David gives when I covered and what happened to me and all that. So God says the first thing is uncover. Second thing, confess. Third thing, forsake. Okay, three things are there again. The first altar at Sishim, you have to uncover. Just go before God. Don't play uh, word games with God. Okay. God is not what you call that game. I forgot. I used to play all the time when the kids were young. Making words, no? Scrabble. Yeah, Scrabble. Don't play Scrabble with God. No, Any word that fits in, no. <laughs> you know what your sin is and you know what God calls it. You know what God calls it. Okay? Don't, God, don't try to be politically, culturally, you know, correct with God. Don't try that with God. Okay, because it simply will not. So when you are uncovering, show is it as it is before God. Okay? And that's what the Holy Spirit will also try. He leads us to truth, not euphemisms. He leads us to truth. Okay? So Bible is very, very clear. He who covers his sin will not prosper. So uncover it and call it by its name. See, he has not come to judge us, to condemn us, because he has already condemned his son 2,000 years ago for our sin. There's a words uh, in the book of Hebrews, by one sacrifice he has made perfect. One sacrifice he has made perfect. You see, you could never be made perfect in the old covenant by one sacrifice. Every year I had to go back. But in the new covenant, what has happened is Jesus had paid for it all. 
once and for all. This is not talking about our perfection. It is talking about the perfection of the offering. We are still on the road to perfection. But his offering is accepted by God as perfect. Okay? You got it? Okay, yeah. Chapter 10. For by one offering he has perfected forever who are being sanctified. We are being sanctified. So if I am being sanctified, what is this perfection got to do? God says, my son's sacrifice is perfect forever. Not in the old covenant. This year, another sacrifice. Next year, you have to all come back, another sacrifice. You are moving on the road and every year you have to offer these sacrifices. Because none of these sacrifices could make you perfect. And the high priest also died. When he died again, you have to wait for seven days until the next high priest died. Okay, imagine he dies in the middle of the heart attack and dies in the middle of a festival. Then the festival also has to get cancelled, postponed. I don't know how they handle all these things, you understand. But in Jesus' case, scripture says once and for all, by one offering. Okay, so understand that. That is where our power comes from. So we uncover. Second thing, we confess. If you go to 1 John, Chapter 1, okay, we will read actually from 5 to 10. If you read to 5 to 10, there are 5 ifs there. (laughs) Every if is important, okay. This is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you, God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, every if is conditional. That is where if comes in, okay? If is conditional. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Next if. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. None of us can say we have no sin because if I have no sin, I would die. There's no point for me to live anymore. I have reached my end of God's work in me. What's the point in living? Right? Paul says, I have finished my race and he goes. He doesn't live longer. Right? So none of us, the only thing that I may look, I may feel I have been sinned, that's because God hasn't shown. I have only re- reached to that level of light that if you put that uh, light off, I will look uh, darker. <laughs> you know, I'm not, my face won't be so clear on the, on the YouTube channel. But that, the more bright light you become, more of the pockmarks on my face you will be able to see. The more light, the more you see. So God is already bringing us more and more, little by little and little by into the light we can handle. Can handle. So if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And then, if we confess our sins, scripture says, if we confess, if we uncover, If we confess, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. To cleanse us from all, he's faithful. But the faithful alone is not enough. He needs to be just. So how, how can he be just and forgive us of our sins? Because Jesus paid the price. That blood. Okay, he was the guilt offering. He was the sin offering. So we have to confess. Confess. So God is telling us what happens when she came. The first altar you meet in the make in the morning. That's the first altar. You don't run into Bethel first. You go to Shechem first. At Shechem, you uncover. 
At Shechem, you confess. And at Shechem, you forsake. And scripture says, he is faithful. He is faithful. And he is just to forgive us our sins. Now it is not talking about forgive us our sin. That is salvation in the beginning. The sin. When he forgave for sin, he was forgiving me of my old nature, giving me. But there are a lot of sins which I have no clue of. Okay. Yesterday's sins, he reminds you this morning, if you haven't dealt with it in the night. Okay, sins. Okay. And the Bible says, if, if we have not, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Okay, so it is his word that reveals the sin in us. Because we are sanctified by the spirit, we are sanctified through the word. Now please remember this. If we confess, what does the word say? He will forgive us our sins. So how do you rewrite the sentence in a negative? If we do not confess, he does not forgive. Unconfessed sins are never forgiven. Unconfessed sins are never forgiven. Because you didn't confess. There's, there's, there is there is no Bible promise on which you can stand to say, I haven't confessed, but God has forgiven me. God says, where did I say that? Beg your pardon, can you show me that words where I said it? Because I'll bind myself to my word. Can you please tell me that you don't have to confess you are saved? Or you are forgiven. When salvation, there is a confession. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Okay. Where did you say, where did I say that uh, you are forgiven without a confession of your sin? No, we go to God, we confess. Okay. Please remember this. In US, I don't know about other countries, maybe Western countries have that law. Which is called, if I am right, my law, my law mind, legal mind, perimation, give me. Uh, perimation also didn't have it. It's called statute of limitations. Like, uh, certain crimes which you commit has a certain period of time. Like you did something in 2005, and in 2020 it was discovered. But if the statute of limitations says it has, it can be filed only within 10 years, then you are free. They cannot charge you because it crossed that time limit. Even income tax has rules like that, something which is a trust. And this thing is for five years or something only. After that, it loses the statute of limitations. You can't go back and dig up everything. Okay? There's a statute of limitations. But you need to know this thing with God. Sin does not have a statute of limitations with God. It's not bound by a timeline. That is man's law. That is not God's law. The problem man brought this law is because man's structure cannot handle sin. Breaking of the law. Okay, so they put a limitation. This is only how much our computer can handle. After that, it will crash. Our justice system will be overloaded. So 10 years, erase it. Let it go. Because new, 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 new things. But God has no issues with his computer. That is not a supercomputer. Hmm. It's not a mega computer also. I don't know what you call it. Okay. Okay. There is no statute of limitations with God. So please remember. That is why as we go through seasons of fasting and searching our heart, God will show you things from the past. Now you see, are you saved? Yeah. Lord, why are you showing me? He says, that is standing in your way from progressing forward. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. 
get rid of it. That's standing in the way. There is an accuser. The accuser. And he says, that still stands in your way. You haven't seen it. I have seen it. You haven't forsaken it. And you don't even realize it's standing in your spiritual life. Genesis chapter 32. Verses 26-27. This is Jacob. Okay? Jacob is finally coming back from his father-in-law's house. And is with his four two wives, two concubines, his eleven children, and the herd, the flock, the servants, everything. And then there is an encounter with God. He doesn't know it is God. But till morning he has an encounter with God. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He realized it's a divine creature. So he says, you bless me. And he so said to him, what is your name? What is your name? No, what is your name? You know what he says? You want, to, you, you want me to bless. But the problem is, I also want to bless you. Child of God, I want to bless you. But between my blessing, there stands something in your past which has to be taken out. Until that is. You have come thus far in your blessing. But I have got even more greater blessings for you. But it cannot go forward until this in your past is dealt with. Because there is no statute of limitations with this thing which you did. So I asked him this question. What is your name? Because the last time he mentioned his name. We know but a lot of people who are hearing have no clue. The last time he had mentioned his name was over 20 years ago to his father who was blind. The father was planning to bless him, bless his elder brother. So his mother and he has to plot and he dresses up like Esau, smells like Esau and he goes and steals a blessing. But when the father asked his name, what is your name? He says, my name is Esau. He had lied, he had sinned. He has run so far. Technically he's blessed. He's got four wives and children and flocks, but he's the most miserable man on planet earth. Because there's no miserable man more miserable man than a believer who knows God and is out of his will. The people in the world are not miserable. They miserable are all horizontal. Our misery is vertical. So they never will understand our misery. While we understand their misery. And their misery is not misery for us. Our misery is different. Like David's misery is different. It's not horizontal. It is vertical. He's got everything under his control. Everybody. But he's miserable. Okay, so so Jacob is a miserable man. It's because the simple question we ask is that I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the question is, what blessing do you need? This is not any horizontal, material, earthly blessing is looking for. He's rich beyond measure. He's got hundreds of slaves and um, flocks and herds, and uh, he's got eleven children, eleven boys, and a girl. I mean, in that culture, to have one boy is a blessing. Eleven boys, your cure is full. In every way you look around, he's a man who is blessed, but he's a miserable man. He's a miserable man. The reason is there is something in your past. And you will say, oh, how does it matter? God says, it matters. It matters. It matters. What is your name? What is your name? We have to be very, very careful about these things, unless you Uncover, confess, and your destiny changes. He had told his father his name was Esau. Now he tells God, my name is Jacob. And then God says, okay, now I'll bless you. Now look into another one, because that's got even more deeper timeline. Second Samuel 21, 2. 1 and 2. 
Now there was famine in the land in the days of David for three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord. Okay? Now you have to be very, very careful. Some things that happen in our life are natural. But when it repeats, go and ask God, why is it happening again and again? This is not natural. There is something in the spiritual connected to that. Usually we take it very natural. Even if it's a disease. We do not realize many diseases have spiritual roots. Instead we take medication. But the disease seems to be coming back over and over and over and over again. So you need to go and ask God, Lord, what is the issue here? What's the issue here? No, Or a job. It seems like you reach here, the final round, and it goes away from your hands. Then you continue in your old job. Then you reach the final round, the next interview, it goes. And you always, it just slips away from you. It just slips away from you. Then you need to like, oh, David is a wise man. First year he said, okay, it didn't rain this year. Second year, okay. Third year he said, again famine? Hang on, hang on, hang on. This does not work. Because we are Israel. <laughs> We are Israel. We are supposed to get rain in its season. And if rain doesn't come in season, there is something blocking the rain. Let me go and ask God, where is the block? What is the block? What, what is the block over here, Lord? There is something that is happening here that is spiritual. The Lord answered, it is because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house because he killed the Gibeonites. Okay? He killed the Gibeonites. The king called the Gibeonites and spoke to them. The Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but the remnant of the Amorites. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them, but Saul had sought to kill them in his zeal for the children of Israel and Judah. Okay? Now, let's go to that picture in Joshua chapter 9, verse 14 and 15. And then we will come back to this verse. This is Joshua conquering the promised land. All of us know over here, but people who do not know the the inhabitants of the promised land, the, the Canaanites, the Amorites and all of them, they were getting scared. The one group said, there is no way their God is with them. We will be defeated. So what do we do? We shall fool them. We shall pretend we came from far away wearing old clothes and molded bread and all. And then we have come from far. Your enemies are enemies. Please help us. Let us make a covenant. So when they came, so they asked, where are you from? This thing and so Then scripture says, the men of Israel took some of their provisions, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. This is one of the fundamental mistakes we make. We don't seek the face of God. We just taste their provisions. But people, I mean, you know what people do? Uh, like, uh, you can have a preacher coming in, okay? And so, sir, can I speak a word in your church? Uh, well, uh, we say, well, I do not know you. How can I? No, no, sir, I'll send you two of my clips. And you look at those two clips. The clips are very nice. We only tasted a little provision. We did not seek the counsel of God. See, all these salesmen, you know, any housing colony or new housing building or anything, they will come and say, come and see the finished flat. Apartment, model house. It is a model house. The rest won't be like that. Okay? Okay. When a car is being introduced, it's a model that is brought first and displayed with going round and round and round. You guys, we're not even probably born then. An ambassador, no, our old ambassador car brought it first limousine called Contessa. You probably, guy would, uh, oh, Contessa came in. We all went to the city to see this limousine going round and round. And now this is in the 1980s or something. Okay, were you born? Some of you must have been Chinnababas. Okay? And we all looked at it and said, wow, what a car, yaar, what a car. Now it looks like a total idiotic contraption. Okay, so you need to realize 
they tasted their some of their provisions. Hey, what they say, taste the same. The problem is the devil can deceive you. She looked with her eyes. She thought it was good for the stomach, but she didn't realize she was getting deceived completely. How do you escape deception by seeking the face of God? Lord, what I see, what tastes to me, what I hear, is it true, Lord? Ultimate arbiter of truth is you, not me or my senses. So what did Joshua do? Joshua made a peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the rulers of the congregation swore to them. They made an oath. They made an oath. And let's look at verse 16 onwards. A little later, <coughs> yeah, it happened at the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, that they heard they were their neighbors who dwelt near them. Then the children of Israel journeyed, came to the cities on the third day. Now the cities were Gibeon, Hephira, Biroth, and Kirjath Jerim. But the children of Israel did not attack them because the rulers of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel and all the congregation complained against the rulers. Then all the rulers said to them, we have sworn to them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. We said, sorry, we can't do anything. Guys, we are going to take this promised land and in the middle of the promised land we have to leave these four or five cities which are full of people who are our enemies. Now we cannot touch them because we made a covenant with them. And we made a covenant in the name of God. Now you cannot break that covenant. Covenant. This we will do to them. We will let them live. Lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore to them. You see? They were snared by the devil. That's what the Bible says. Don't make rash vows. You don't have to make any vow. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't have to make any, any vow. You don't have to make any oath. There's no need in the new covenant. Let your yes be yes and your no be you know. What happens? Now, Saul was king. Now go back to First Samuel and look at verse 22 there. Uh, sorry, verse 2 there. 21 and verse 2. The children of Israel had sworn protection to them. Second half. But Saul had sought to kill them what? Not for God. For the children of Israel. He already knows he is being rejected by God. But he has to sow his religious fervor. I am a religious man. So we shall destroy the enemies of Israel. So the people who still think God is with him. This is not his zeal for God. This is zeal for the children of Israel and so it showed David's men also. I am the, look at my zeal. He knows David is the next chosen one. And he's from Judah. Religious zeal. Now think about it. When was the oath sworn? Joshua's time. In between there is almost 500 years of the judges. 400, 500 years of the judges. Plus 40 years of Saul. Seven and a half years of David in Hebron. Then David in Jerusalem. Almost 500 years have passed by. But sin has no time limit. No statute of limitations. You made an oath in the name of God. You didn't ask me, but you used my name. It stands. It stands. Use my name. That is why we say, Hallowed be thy name. Thou shall not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Thou shall not. Statute of limitations does not apply. Does not apply. And they are in a trap. Famine is come. 
that God is merciful. He's an incredible merciful God. He's an incredible merciful God. He doesn't bring the punishment during the time of any of the judges. He does not bring it through the time of Saul. He waits for a man of God who will make atonement for it. He waits for a man of God. In his mercy, he waits. Like he waited with patience during the time of Noah. He waited for 500 years of Israel's sin and rebellion. And all he waited. And he waited until a man of God came. Because if he were to judge during an ungodly man, here only seven people will die for their sin. Seven sons of Saul. If it had been somebody else, the famine would have gone for 30 years and hundreds and thousands would have died without them even knowing what is happening over here. So he waited for a man with discernment to come in and then on the third year he found out and he realized this is, he asked a solution, what do you want? They said give us seven souls of sun. Again they are deceptive. If you look at the entire conversation, the Gibeonites never changed. They are deceptive. They deceived David also there. And David has spoken his words, so he's not able to take back. They said, give us seven sons of Saul. Five or seven, seven sons, seven sons of Saul. And he has to pick. And again, he shows mercy to Mephibosheth. And the others, uh, there is a sermon I preached about that girl. The, uh, not Michal, Rispa, Rispa. Rispa, the mother Rispa, no, it's her, she cries, she waits for her children's body. So you have to see this, time does not cover sin. Only the blood of Jesus does. We uncover, we confess, we forsake. So the first call of God is at, she came, come to me. All who are weary because of sin and the weight of guilt. If you confess, he is faithful. What is your name? My name is Jacob. My name is Jacob. What is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. Your name is Jacob. Really? Your name is Jacob? I thought you were Esau. Your name is Jacob. So you know your name. Know your name. Proverbs 28, 13, the second, third part, forsake. Whoever confesses and forsakes them, God will have mercy. God will have mercy. Okay. What does it mean? You confess, you uncover, you confess, you forsake. You know what God does? God says, you will be declared not guilty. Not guilty. You are not just forgiven. That's not what the Bible says. In 1 John 1, and verse 7. What does it say? Cleanses us from all sin. It cleanses us. Father, there's no record of it left. The record is gone. Unless you choose to remind God. God doesn't remember. That's why we say people go deep sea fishing. Because God says, your sins I have put in the depth of the ocean. We go back and pull it back and says, oh Lord, do you remember what I did? God says, I don't remember. No, I did this. Oh, you did? I had forgotten. You reminded me. Reminded me. You reminded me. You have to, you have to walk by faith in the blood of Jesus and the work of Jesus and not your feelings. The devil will try to attack you through your feelings. 32 and verse 27, Genesis. He said to him, what's your name? He said, Jacob. And verse 28. He said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. 
you, as far as I am concerned, you will never be called Jacob. You will be what? Israel. If you act like Jacob, then that's your problem. But your past is gone. Your past is gone. You are not that person anymore. You are a new person in Christ Jesus. Your identity has changed. Your identity has changed. You are Israel from today. Man who has prevailed both with God, struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. You have prevailed. Okay? That is what it means to be justified, declared not guilty. Okay? 20 years later, he's pronounced not guilty. But people live under the burden of guilt. Like I said, God had spoken to Abraham in the Ur of the Chaldeans. Right? Ur of the Chaldeans. And in Genesis 11.31, you will say he comes and stays in Haran. Right? And we have no record of any of his activities of all these years. Why? If you come to Genesis uh, 11 and verse 31, you will see. Terah took his son Abraham, his grandson Lord, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife. They went down with them from the Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. They didn't move. So you see the first compromised Christian over there you see is Abraham. The second one, of course, is Lot. The first one you see is Abraham. Are you in the Ur of the Chaldeans? No. Are you in the promised land? No. Where are you in the middle? And you lived there probably for a long time. Those dudes used to live long. They don't die easy. It's terrace and all. Okay? They don't die easy. They live long. Okay? So he must have lived there for a long time. If you live in a state of compromise for a long time, and then you enter into the life of faith, when you are tested, you fall fast. That's why after the famine comes, he falls. That has got to do with the life of compromise he lived after knowing the truth. Leave and go to your father's house. He comes and lives in Haran for a long time. When you are, that's why Israel keeps on falling. Even after that other prophets will come and they will go back. Why? Because they lived in the land of two opinions for a long time. Long time. Long time. And that's what happens. You need to realize one of our weaknesses, the church's weaknesses, the church has been brought to the stage of Laodicea where it is living in the stage of compromise. Neither hot nor cold. And when the testing comes, it's easier to fall. The way, Like if you talk about the flesh is like water. Water flows where there is no resistance. No Water doesn't flow up. Flow up. So when you are tested... Because if you have lived in a state of compromise always, when you are tested, you fail easily. You fall easily. Right? And then scripture says in Genesis chapter 2, verses, verse 8. So not to a 12, 8. And he moved from there to the mountain east of Bethel. The problem is some people never move from Shechem. Their entire life is spent at Shechem. Forever in the cycle of sin. Going back, going back, going back. There is a going back every day and yet there is a moving. But some people have never moved beyond Shechem. Their entire life is at Shechem. They don't move to the next stage. That is at Bethel, to the house of God. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Okay? 
28 is the first call at Shechem. Okay. 11. Come to me all who are labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's at Shechem. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That is Bethel. You have to move on. But people don't do the second part. They don't want that. The only thing they want to know is, am I forgiven if I sin? They like all those messages of seven times, seventy, you know, how many times I should forgive my brother. They love all those messages of mercy. They don't want the message of grace that empowers you to move forward. They don't move. So the second call of God is right there. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You don't have to keep on coming back for the same thing over and over and over again. Okay. We saw in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 10, he who enters into his rest, he was entered his rest Himself has also ceased from his works as God did from his. That's only, that is only Matthew 11, 28. You know what 29 is? Ephesians chapter 2, read from 8 to 10. Yeah. By grace you have been saved through faith that not of yourself, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That is the Rest from sin and guilt. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for after you have entered into his rest and ceased from your works, you should move into the works for which God created you. Otherwise you won't have rest for your soul. Otherwise you don't see when you have done a good day's work, even though your body is tired, you have what is called job satisfaction. That's a rest for your soul. That is a good day. Today was a good day. Right? But people don't have that. People in the world have it. Now in the Bible, it's not talking about that. It is talking about something that is spiritual. You know, you have done God's will today. God's will today. You have done what he wanted me to do today. And that is the works to which we are called to. And the Bible is talking about it. Right? You have to move from Shechem. To Bethel. Bethel is the house of God. Where you hear from God. Where you are taught of God. Where you understand what is the good, the pleasing, perfect will of God. You have to go to Acts chapter 2. Verse 40 to 42. What should we do? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus. With many other words, he testified, exhorted them, being saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. What is this? Shechem. This is Shechem. They came, the guilt is gone, that sin is gone, they're excited, the weight is gone. And then verse 42 says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. This is Bethel. A lot of people stop at Shechem. And they don't come, they don't have a life in the house of God. They don't have a life in the house of God. They Forever their life is in Shechem. And they are always worrying whether they are saved or not. Always this thing now. Because how do you know you are saved? Because this is what saved people do. This is what saved people do. They move into the works of God, which work God had called you for. And how does it begin? It begins with doctrine. 
you understand the ways of God. You understand the thoughts of God because you cannot do the works of God unless you know the thoughts and the ways of God. You understand. You have been separated from and you are not separated unto. A lot of people are separated from but they are not separated unto God. Unto God. They are not separated unto God. They are like Lot. They are separated from, but they are not separated unto God. They are living right in the middle of the world. Are you separated from the world? Yes. But where are you living? In the world. You are not separated unto God. So God says, don't dwell at Shechem. Don't dwell at Shechem. Because Shechem is a place where you should not dwell. You should go there. Visit there. But don't dwell there. Because if you dwell there, that burden of guilt, shame and rejection will keep on coming back. You are not supposed. You have to put that and move on to better. In Genesis 32, we saw Jacob had a very, very powerful encounter with God. Right? Powerful encounter with God. And the next chapter, you will see what Shechem does. The guilt is gone. The weight of sin is gone. And 33, verse 4. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. So you have incredible peace with God and peace with man. That is Shechem. The guilt is gone. The sin is gone. Reconciliation has taken place. A lot of people just want to be live like that. It's a good place. I mean, it's a good thing that you have peace with God and peace with man. But the problem is, see what he does. Verse 18 to 20. Verse 18 to 20. Then Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Padan Aram, and he pitched his tent before that city. He decided, this is where I am going to stay. He bought the parcel of land where he had pitched his tent from the children of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. He erected an altar there and called it El Elohi Israel, the mighty God. He decided, this is where I will live. But you are not called to live there. You are not called to live there. You cannot live at that place. It is dangerous to live at that place. If you are a father, and that is the place you have chosen to live, remember it is dangerous for your family. It's dangerous for your family to build your altar at. It's good to build an altar, but to pitch your tent there is a very dangerous thing to do because you need to move further with your family and move into Bethel. You had an experience of God at Shechem. But that doesn't mean your children had an experience with God at Shechem. Don't dwell at Shechem. It's a dangerous place to stay. Altar at Shechem is good. But to live at Shechem is bad. Abraham moved from Shechem to Bethel. Look at the next chapter and first verse 1 and 2. This is the last verse, 34. Genesis 34. Tina, the daughter of Leah, whom she had born to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And verse 2, when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite prince of the country, saw her, he took her, lay with her, and violated her. That's what happened. Why do our children get violated by the world, the prince of this world? Because we choose to put a pitch our tent at Shechem. We were satisfied just with our first experience of salvation and did not want to move forward. And our children get violated. We didn't take the wisdom of Abraham and move further 
into Bethel, to the house of God. Shechem is a good place. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and heavy laden, come, I will give you rest. Take my yoke. Nobody wants to take a yoke. But God says it is good to wear a yoke in the days of a youth. So it doesn't matter if you were born again at 65, you are a youth in the eyes of God. Take the yoke now. Take the yoke. In the house of God, a lot of disciplines of the kingdom of God is taught. You won't get it in Shechem. You will only get it in Bethel. The discipline of prayer, the discipline of praise, the discipline of proclamation, the discipline of fasting, the discipline of giving, the discipline of laying your life over to God. All those disciplines you learn in Bethel, you don't learn it in Shechem. In Shechem, the only thing you know is that you are forgiven of your sin and the guilt is taken away. But people dwell in Shechem. Jacob made the horrendous mistake of buying a land at Shechem outside, pitches his tent over there, builds an altar, mighty God of Israel. Oh Lord, thank you Lord. The weight of sin which I carried, the guilt and the fear I carried because of that for 20 years is gone. I have peace with you. I have peace with my brother. Hallelujah Lord. The daughter goes and gets raped. Goes out and gets raped. The world violates her. The prince Hamar violates her. What is the message? Spiritual message. That's where our children get lost to the world. Because our parents did not choose, or we as parents did not choose to dwell in Bethel. Dwell in Bethel. Father and mother made a decision. You know what? We are moving forward here. Sarah did not fight. Oppose. Abraham said, we are moving from here. We are moving on to Bethel. Moving on. Bethel is a safer place. It's a safe place. You have to move forward. In the spiritual life, there is always movement. The safest place is Baraya. Safer than Hebron. You will never lose your children then. We are always thinking about the next generation. You will never lose your children then. Okay. Shishem is good. Bethel is good. Hebron is excellent. Mariah is the ultimate. So you will see what happened. He lost. He lost. And after that, it is a mess. Mess. His sons kill the whole men of that city. It is a total mess. And he will say, Lord, why is my life such a mess, Lord? I repented, Lord. I confess, Lord. I forsook, Lord. And I know the weight of guilt. Why is my life such a mess? He said, you didn't take my yoke upon yourself. You didn't move forward. You thought this was the end. This is just the beginning. This is just the beginning of salvation. Why didn't you move forward? Why did you pitch your tent over there? Are you just satisfied with this alone? Satisfied with this alone? Why didn't you move forward? Move forward. It is a mess, Abraham. Sorry, Jacob's. Imagine coming back to the promised land after 20 years of slavery in your father-in-law's house and the next thing happens. The whole thing is a mess. Because your children do not have the experience of God at Shechem. They don't know what Shechem is. They don't know what it means. You had an experience at Shechem. You met God face to face at Peniel. You are the one whose name was changed. But your children do not know. So take them, move with them away from that place. So look at what God's solution is. What a mess. 35 verse 1. What does God say? God said to Abraham, Arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, and make an altar there to God. God said, Why did you? You didn't even ask me. Why did you pitch your tent here? Now it is a mess. Look at the mess. 
You created. Did you ask me? Like I said, God doesn't push anybody. He doesn't pull anybody. He's not a push and pull, push and pull trains like ours. He doesn't do anything. He says, I, I will lead you. You have to follow. I will lead you. I don't push people. I don't pull people. The devil does both. The devil does both. He says, arise. Get up. Go up to Bethel. And what? Dwell there. Dwell there. What a waste of money, right? You bought land in Shikim. Ultimately, it will become a graveyard. Some of the people will be buried there. At Shikim. Yo, what you bought? I thought I will build my mansion here. God says it will be a graveyard. Move. You are not supposed to stay at Shikim. Get up. Go to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Go there. Go there. Go there. Okay? And verse 2 and 3. Before you move from Shechem, there are things which we need to do spiritually. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourself and change your garments. Let us arise, go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and gone me with me in the way I have gone. So he knew his household had idols. See, there is there is no such conviction about the rest of your household at Shechem. Shechem is more of a personal encounter. It is when you are going to Bethel or you are in Bethel when all the family, the saved, the unsaved, the good, the bad, the ugly are all sitting together and the word is going, these people start Getting convicted. Otherwise, conviction does not take place. Right? Otherwise, or you have a Bible study at the home, the one who is saved, the father is leading the Bible study. That is where all the trouble will start. No, Unless you hear, how will you know? Bethel is a place where you hear, where you are taught. So he tells them, put away the foreign gods that are among you, purify yourself, change your garments. Let us arise and go up to Bethel. Let us get up, no? So you cannot go to Bethel. When you move from Shechem to Bethel, there is a forsaking of a lot of other things. Meaning, if you want to come with me on to the next stage of the journey, you have to get rid of a lot of stuff. Okay? You know, that's one of the fundamental things. Have you not, our church, we are not talking about churches people listening online. Our church, you know, everybody comes decent on Sundays. Boys and girls. Unless it's a visitor. And the visitor feels like an odd fish out. Like, why are these people all dressed so neatly and modestly? And I stick like a, you know. But do you think all of them are dressed like that by Monday to Friday in their offices? No. Many of them are not. They dress Many of them dress in clothes that are tighter than a glove. The Sundays they don't. You want to go to the house of God? Suddenly it becomes a lesson. What can I wear? What can I wear? You will wear this. So the child starts getting. Why can't I wear this? No, you don't wear. That's why you have the term, your Sunday best was kept for Sunday, for the church, for God. So this was inculcated in the children in the old ages right from the beginning. You give your best, your modest best, your best, even in your dressing. It is reserved for God and not the world. 
what the world. So suddenly children start realizing a lot of stuff. Okay, we are going to church. First it begins in the day, devotions, that becomes the little Bethel. All little Bethels come to the big Bethel. You realize children are told when worship is happening, reverence for God, reverence for God, lot of things are learned. This God has to be put away. This God has to be put away. You can do this at home. You cannot do this there. Lot of things are being taught. They are putting away things. Putting away things. Between the journey from Shikim to Bethel, there's a lot of things that have to be put away. Just because you went to the house of God does not mean you have reached Bethel. Because in Bethel you start hearing from God. Hearing from God. There is a journey of putting away. And look at verse 4, what happens. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands, the earrings which were in the ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. He didn't take, what did he do? He buried it all at Shechem. All the idols in your life has to be buried in Shechem. It has to be buried at Shechem. If you want to go further, you cannot be yoked in Jesus with all your idols. You cannot. Come to me all who labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon, but if you have to be yoked with Jesus, Jesus will tell you, you need to get rid of a lot of stuff. Lot of stuff. And their earrings. One thing is specifically mentioned, earrings, because the first thing that is going to happen in the house of Bethel is that you will hear God speak. Everything that stands in the way of hearing, take it out. Take it out. Don't wear it. Take it out. You need to hear, because faith comes from hearing. That's the most important thing. Faith comes from hearing. Let not be there anything in your life that impediments the voice of God in your life. So it is not as easy as you think. As easy as you think. So you see at Shechem, what happens? Because they did not understand the full picture of what happens in Shechem. What happens is, they are riddled with guilt and shame. Right? Shame. Jacob's family will always carry that shame. What is the shame? Our only daughter was violated. By the world, the prince of this world, Hamor, raped our sister. And not only that, my sons have become murderers. Look at what has happened to Jacob. My daughter is violated. My sons are murderers. My sons are murderers. This is the trap of the enemy. This is the trap of the enemy. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7 and verse 10. And then the eyes of both of them were open and they knew they were naked and the sword fig tree leaves together and made themselves come. God has not come there at all. It's only they too and the animals. The first thing that comes in there is shame. Shame comes in. Okay. Sin has come in. Guilt has come in. Shame has come in. Shame has come in. And fear comes in when they hear the sound steps. The footsteps of God. And verse 10. He said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. See, everything has come with the fall. Okay, Guilt has come. Shame has come. This is a 
terrible combination. Guilt and shame. That's how people go through. You know, that's what people go through. Guilt and shame. The shame is sometimes, so you have public shaming also. Parents do that. Teachers do that. Nations do that. The shaming of it all. The guilt and the shame people carry. And God is not a God who wants to carry the guilt or the shame. In Genesis 3 and verse 21. What does God do? Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. He doesn't want to put you to shame. He clothes you. He clothes you. He doesn't send you naked. Love covers. The devil exposes. God covers. God covers. Okay. He doesn't want you to go through shame. Right? Hebrews 12 verse 2. He took the Hebrews 12. He took the guilt. The sin. Hebrews 12 verse 2. Looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. On the cross what happened? He took our guilt and our sin. Despising the shame. It is not that he hung on the cross. You hung naked. It's not like you see in the picture. He hung naked. He took our shame. He not only took our guilt or sin. Like I said, sin is outward. That is easy to handle. But the guilt is inward. That doesn't go away. The action is over. (laughs) The action is over. Like you do uh, a sinful act. That act is over in a minute or two or three minutes or one hour. If it's a robbery, one hour, two hour. Act is over. The guilt is chasing you. So living in fear of being caught. Right? Act is over. Like all the young ones who were on the streets of US and all that who robbed, looted, robbed, broke. No? Act is over. But they will always live in fear. If number third, it is a different result. Trump wins. And Democrats are swept out in many of the elections. Then they will start fearing. Why? Act is over. No, it happened five months ago, right? What has happened? Now imagine the law, the Congress and the Senate and everything is in the Republican hands. And they bring the law. Harsh punishment for those who burned the businesses, looted and everything. They bring the law. You know what? Act is over. Now you are living in fear. Guilt and shame. That's why we see whenever some fellow who was acting like cat's whiskers, when he's caught, they're all covering their face with a hanger. Why are you covering your face? Nobody wants to be seen. Why? Hebrews 5, sorry, Isaiah 50 and verse 6. 50 verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me, my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from the shame and the spitting. He took the shame. As she came, what does he do? He takes the guilt. He takes the sin. He takes the shame. You don't have to carry it. You can walk free. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world says. Because you can be free. If you confess, if you uncover, if you confess, if you forsake, you're not only free from guilt, you're also free from shame. Your past nakedness is buried in Shechem. 
It's hidden in Shechem. It's hidden. When Jacob's family moves from Shechem further, they have buried their past there. The past is buried there. It is done. It's buried. It's not remembered anymore. It's gone. In Romans 5, verse 33, 34. Romans 5. Oh, Romans uh, 7. Who is that condemns? That's uh, that's 8, 8, 8, 8. Romans, not 5, Romans 8. Yeah, Romans 8, 33, 34. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. Ah, it's Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also makes intercession for us. Who, who is that condemns? Christ died on the cross. He took your guilt. Christ was stripped on the cross. He took your shame. Who's, who's that condemns? Who's the one who points out your old sins? Who's that? God says, I don't remember. I don't remember. There is an accuser. This is an intercessor. The accuser who accuses the brethren. Not the people of the world he doesn't accuse. The brethren. Day and night. And there is an intercessor who makes intercession for the saints forever. Day and night. He exposes, Christ covers. He exposes, Christ covers. God says, do you know the work of Shekin? No. Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance. Jesus did not speak that day when he first spoke this. To comfort all who mourn, Verse 3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. This is the gospel. And look at verse 10. Sorry, verse 7. Verse 7. To those who receive the gospel. The door is open. Instead of your shame, you shall have double honor. Instead of shame, you shall have double honor. You don't have to be ashamed anymore of your past. You're a new person. You're a new person. You shall have what? Double honor. You're not Jacob. You are Israel. Honor with God. Honor with man. You shall have double honor. Right? No shame. You shall have double honor. You know? Please understand what God does at Shekem. Don't skirt these altars. We have to experience each of the work of Christ at these altars. Because the devil will tempt us to sin. And then load us with guilt and shame. And then you live life with a sense of rejection. Rejection. Everything that people do is empowered by one of these three or all of these three. 
guilt, shame and rejection. Everything they do, everything people do in the world is empowered by these three. Not to feel guilty, not to feel shame and not to be to be accepted. Everything, even their work is connected with that. Everything, even the good work is connected with that. That's why God says your good works are like filthy rags before me. You know why you are a workaholic? Because you want to be accepted through your work. Otherwise you feel you are rejected. Do you know you go shopping, 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 shopping just to, just to keep your mind occupied because you cannot bear your shame or your guilt. Everything is based on this three that man, the fallen man does. Guilt, shame and guilt, shame and rejection. Everything. And God, that's why God says, enter into my rest first. I don't want you to do a thing first. I don't want you to do a thing. Inside is shame, but you want to look good outside. The cosmetic industry is one of the billion, multi-billion. Why are so people so this thing about it? <laughs> Until it becomes an addiction. <laughs> you know why? Because inside it is shame. So Nancy Pelosi has to be caught on camera in a saloon at her age. And she called everybody not wearing a mask. Practically they are all criminals. And the criminal was caught on camera. No? It's just showing the our all human nature. What we say and what we do, and we all say this is what should be, but we don't do it. There is an obsession. We want to be accepted. <laughs> but the sense of rejection is there. Right? You know what's happening? Like it's a, it's the most vibrant picture currently for the past three, four months. What's happening on the streets of US? It's simply that. It's guilt, shame and rejection. What's happening? Okay. So if you look at the mobs that is going around, you have seen white kids and black kids, right? Why are the white kids out there? Because they are ashamed of their whiteness. Because they have been made to thought that is part of your guilt. To be white is to be guilty. So they are feeling guilty. And to get rid of the guilt, that if I walk around marching for these black people, then some way I am not identifying with my whiteness. And what about the black kids? It's a sense of shame. Sense of shame. Our ancestors were slaves. By the way, all our ancestors were slaves. Everybody, every man's ancestor was a slave. Do you know what's playing out? The exact thing is playing out. And what do they do? We reject authority. And we just want to be accepted by our peers. And the way we accept our peers is breaking down and looting. That's exactly what's happening on the streets. Nothing has changed. I actually gave the title for today's message. What was it? White guilt and black shame. That's basically the iniquity of our ancestors. But at the cross he took. There is no reconciliation outside the cross. At the cross, guilt, shame, rejection, everything is taken care of.
only you can do every government program it is not you cannot legislate these things away cannot legislate these things away there is only one way you have to come the white man the brown man the black man the yellow man every color race has to come to the cross that's why i said at the cross the statement was made all lives matter to god not just black lives white lives also matter all are victims of sin this is all a manifestation of sin and unless you tackle sin and tries to legislate problems away otherwise it should have slavery was abolished how many hundred years ago has it gone away no why because you cannot legislate these things away you cannot legislate you have to come to the cross it's only at the cross these things will be taken away because it's at the cross we are accepted Isaiah 53 verse 3 He was despised and rejected by men. Why was he rejected by men? What did he do? One thing that would cause any man to reject him. Nothing. But he was rejected by men. Why was he rejected? So that we could be accepted. If he is not rejected, we cannot be accepted. He was rejected by men. 1 John 1 John gospel according to John 1 and verse 11 He came to his own his own did not receive him he was rejected by all men his own men and the worst Matthew 27 verse 45 46 45 Now on the sixth hour, until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, "Eli, Eli, lama." What is he saying? You also have rejected me. There he hung between heaven and earth, rejected by man, rejected by God, and he hasn't done one sin. Because what is the effect of sin? Guilt, shame, and rejection. and he had to take it all at shekem we experience these things shekem that's the only place and then only you can go to the house of god and actually start growing and understanding the works of god otherwise you'll come into the house of god carrying guilt and shame and rejection and every day there's a deliverance and inner healing that's what is happening in the church <laughs> the work of shekem is happening at bethel bethel is where people who don't have a sense of guilt people who are not ashamed anymore and people who do not go through a sense of rejection are hearing from god and they are finding purpose in life but nobody knows purpose hardly anybody knows purpose because they are caught because the altar at shikem was not repaired repaired efficiency one words Six, we can see three to six actually, but just read six. To the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the beloved. In Him we are accepted. No other way. Father says, when you come to me through Him, you are accepted in Him. You are accepted as a part of Him. And the most beautiful words about acceptance is John chapter seventeen. Verse twenty-five and twenty-six. How God accepts us. 
John 17, 25-26. O righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. And these have not have known that you sent me. I have declared to them your name and will declare it. The love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. That is one thing I want them to know. That you love them the way you love me. They are not rejected. They are accepted exactly as I am accepted by you. In him we are his beloved. Okay. Now what happens with even believers is they, they go wrong here. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man can come to thee. Father is the destination, not the son. The son takes us to the father. Until we have reached our father, we will never become whole. That is why the entire attack of humanism, feminism, everything is against the father and not against the mother. And modern day mothers have become a stumbling block for the children to come to the father because the mother has become the voice. Even you guys prefer to go, go to ma than to me. It's a stumbling block. I'm not saying you shouldn't know, but it's a stumbling block. It's a stumbling block. So you will never experience the liberty that comes from knowing the Father. Not me, the Heavenly Father. That is the entire, that is the end of salvation. That is the end of salvation. And the entire crisis you see in the world is man, even the believers in the entire crisis in Christendom is people know Christ, they don't know the Father. Let me give you a statistics because I like statistics not when I was studying maths but statistics. <laughs> Otherwise, CDC test statistics. Every year, if I am right, my memory is right, 2 million kids drop out of school in US. Drop out from school. They don't complete their schooling. 2 million. Every year or whatever number of years. 73% of them come from fatherless homes. Doesn't matter how great your mother is. God has created man and a woman or the child that they need the affirmation of the father. Affirmation of the father. That's the way it is. At the cross, that's what happens. The cross works on the principle of exchange. He took my guilt. He took my shame. He took my rejection. And... He passes on to us. He says, you are accepted by the Father. I have come to take you to the Father. Come to take you to the Father. Now, let's go to Genesis 32 once again. Twenty-two to twenty-four. This is the same. He arose that night, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven sons, crossed over the ford of Jabok. He took them, sent them over the brook, sent them over what he had. Then, Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. Okay? Look at him. Concubine and children there. Other crowd there. Favorite wife, children here, everything. And he, where is he? At the last. That's Jacob. Hiding. He's not hiding Biden, he's hiding Jacob. <laughs> Jacob has reached his basement. 
you can't go any further back because behind father-in-law is there. Behind father-in-law is there. You can't go back there. You can't go forward. So he is literally hiding. Hiding. That's where God meets him. It's come to the end. God meets him there. And God, God, God asks him the name. What is that? What is your name? What is your name? Now go to Genesis 25 and verse 28. 25, 28. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Jacob grew up rejected by his father. You see, Esau is not very much bothered if you have noticed, because he doesn't understand spiritual things. If you look at Esau, he's a very confident guy. He was only upset he took the birthright. After that, he's cool. He's always like riding high. Why? Because he was affirmed by his father. Spiritually, he lost. But in the world, he's very confident. Why? That was his father's favorite. The father always affirmed, yeah, boy, that's the way to do it, boy. That's the kind of boy I want. Jacob was rejected by his father. And he's reached the dead end in his basement. God meets him in the basement. Then God asks him, what is your name? He says, my name is Jacob. Who names children in the old covenant? The father. So God says, you know what? I am your father. I'm going to name you now. Your name is no longer Jacob. Your name is Israel. Forget it. Forget your past. You're not rejected. I have loved you even in your mother's womb. I have accepted you. You're not Jacob. I'm changing your destiny. You don't have to worry about guilt or shame or rejection. I am your father. I have accepted you. And it's a completely different Jacob who moves from there. He's limping. But he's running towards Esau. You know why? He has an experience with God there. And God says that is the experience a believer needs to have with God. You have to. I have taken your shame away. I have taken your shame away. Hebrews 2.10 Hebrews 2.10 For it was fitting for him for all whom all things by whom are all things in bringing many sons to you know what? What is the opposite of shame in the kingdom? It's glory. Adam and Eve were clothed in God's glory. When they sinned what they lost was glory. You know what God is doing? He says, I have taken your shame and I will give you my glory. He's bringing us from glory to glory to glory. The shame is covered with glory. Not covered. Shame is replaced with glory. Exchanged with glory. What happened on the cross? That's why you cannot ex- the work of the cross. Your guilt has been taken away. Right? You are declared righteous just as if you have never sinned holy before God. Perfect before God. Second, your shame has been taken away. You are being declared what? Glorious. Your rejection has been taken away. It doesn't matter who has rejected you. God has accepted you. It's nobody higher than that. Behold what manner of love that God has showered upon us. That we may be called the children of God. There's no higher title than that. You can't get a higher title than that, son of God. As many as you received him, he gave them the power to become the children, the sons or daughters of God. Look at what God is talking about. This is Shechem. This is the altar at Shechem. 
This is we have to encounter. We have to be made whole at Shekem. As I come to the end. Luke chapter 15. Verse 21. If you know that narrative, this boy, remember this boy? If you read that narrative from the time he comes to his senses, when he comes to his senses, you listen to his conversation that is taking place. In every sentence, he will use that word, my father, my father, my father, my father, my father. My father. It's all about the father. It's all about the father. All about the father. And when he finally meets his father, he is covered with guilt, shame, and rejection. My father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You know, guilt, shame, and rejection. Not worthy. If you reject me, you are right. I consider myself guilty. I am ashamed of what I have done. And I am worthy to be rejected. Look at what the father does. Verse 22. The father said to his servants, Bring out the no, the best robe. The best robe. He says, bring the best robe. Isaiah 61 verse 10. And then we'll go back. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. Why? That's the reaction of salvation. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with robe of righteousness. Two things. He has clothed me with salvation. That means I am forgiven of my guilt. Of my sin. And I have been declared righteous. Not just one part alone. The other part too. I have been clothed with, covered with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with ornament. As a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is a spiritual reality. So father says in verse 22. Bring the best robe. Words are important. Best robe. The servant must have run inside and going through. No, if you think about that time's closet. No, 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 no. This is not good enough. Good enough. Which is the robe that father wears for special occasions. This is that one. This is the one fit for this child today. The best one. Special occasions only father wears it. Can't be the son's robe. Because he took everything and left. So it's the father's robe. We are not clothed with our righteousness. We are clothed with the righteousness of God. That is the best robe. For there is, I am not ashamed of the gospel, because in the gospel, there is the righteousness of God. That's the best robe. We are not just robed with a good robe, or a better robe. The best robe. There is a good robe. That is the righteousness of man. There is a better robe. The righteousness of angels. And there is the best robe. That is the righteousness of God. Bring the best robe. Put it on him. And put a I will also clothe him in honor, with authority. He's a son. He's my son. And put sandals on his. He'll have peace with me. And he'll have peace with man. Sandals are connected with peace. 
He shall walk with peace. Now. He doesn't have to walk in guilt. He doesn't have to be troubled. He has peace with me. For whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And that incredible picture is given in John chapter 20. Uh, sorry, first Luke chapter 8 verse 1 and 2. And then John 20 and verse 17. And it came to pass afterwards, he went through every city and village, preaching, bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons. So there was Mary Magdalene. She was infirm and she had seven demons. So you can imagine her life. Imagine her life, what her life must have been. Guilt. Shame and rejection. Not only was she sick, she was demon possessed. The way she must have behaved, used, abused, we don't know her history. And the Bible does not talk about histories of people who are saved. The new covenant. We don't know her history at all. But we know, look at it. Sick and demon possessed. Guilt, shame and rejection. Then she met Christ. And a final picture is given in John chapter 20 and verse 17. The final picture. Jesus ascended to her, uh, 17 and 18. Okay? Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that God had spoken these things to her. Who is this girl? Who is the one who saw the Lord first? the one who saw the Lord first. Look at her past. Look at her now. When I teach this, I always say, you know, Jesus had three works to do. He had to do a work on earth. It is finished. Then he had to do a work in the in the paradise hell. Okay, he had. He was three days. Okay. Then he had to do a work in in heaven. He had to take that blood that was and put it in the holy place. Okay. The work is not finished. Work is not finished. He finished his work or not? He finished his work in hell. We don't know whether he's finished his work in heaven, but he stops his work to show himself to this one person. Because he will say, I have to go to my father. And then he will come back in the evening and reveals himself to his. Between revealing himself to his disciples, there is almost a 12 hour gap. But he reveals to Mary Magdalene, who was infirm, and demon for a person who was weighed down with guilt, shame, and rejection. God uses her to declare, I have risen. I have risen. This is the power of the gospel. This is what happens at Shechem. This is the order of Shechem. It's only from Shechem you can go to Bethel. A lot of people do not allow God to finish the work at Shechem. Take your guilt away. Take your shame away. Take your rejection away. Then you go to Bethel, you will hear. They are not still coming with the work of Shechem to Bethel. Okay. Because what happens at Bethel? Bethel is you hear from God. It is the house of God. God speaks to you. And you start understanding the ways of God. You understand the thoughts of God. You understand the kingdom of God. Then you move to Hebron. You have now one-on-one relationship with God. You now fellowship with God. God can speak to you individually. And personally, and start showing you his purpose for you, personally. And you start moving into That's when uh, Abraham understood the purpose of his life. 
No, we have to go through these stages. This is the kingdom of God. This is the gospel. This is what Elijah was trying to do there. Repair the altar. With one line, one little line, he started repairing the altar that was in ruins. Ruins. And so many people have come out of Haran. And they are in the promised land, but they are at Shechem. And they like Jacob pitched their tent at Shechem. And then they lose. God says, no. The experience of Shechem is one thing. You are not called to live at Shechem. Rise up, arise. Dwell at Bethel, where I first met you. Be at Bethel. Dwell your tent at Bethel. And it's from Bethel, the purpose of God starts unfolding in Jacob's life. Please remember, 35 he moves to Bethel. Right? Most to Bethel. And in 37, this is the history, genealogy of Jacob, Joseph. The purposes of God start unfolding in one child's life because the father chose to dwell at Bethel. The family starts getting the revelation of God. So you may not know. You take your whole family to church at Bethel. You moved from Shechem to Bethel. And one of the kids hears, understands the call of God. And he starts fulfilling. And you realize your entire purpose was to bring him to God. Like Hannah. Hannah's entire purpose was to birth Samuel. And bring him to the house of God. Okay, And purpose is fulfilled. Purpose is fulfilled. And this happens only as we go through these stages. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord, millions and millions and millions of people, Lord, are stuck either between two opinions, like Abraham at Haran, left Ur, never entered the promised land, or they have pitched their tent at Shechem, like Jacob, weighed down by guilt and shame and rejection. That's a picture of that church, the woman, Dina, violated by the world. The church cannot dwell at Shechem. Church encounters God at Shechem, but the church has to move on to Bethel. And I pray today, Lord, there will truly be a move of God in the lives of those who receive this word. They will go to you, meet you at Shechem one-on-one, uncover, confess, and forsake. And your word is true. Forever faithful is the God who promised. That he's just and faithful. And the blood of Jesus will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. All sin. Because, O Lord, I pray your people will experience the power of the cross. The cross is about an exchange. You took our guilt, our sin. And you gave us your righteousness. You took our shame. And you are giving us your glory. And one day that glory will be revealed. You were rejected by man and by your father on the cross. So that we would be accepted by the father. Yes Lord, help us to go to the father. As at the end of the day the story ends. In the book of Revelation 21, 24 when the city comes down. Now. God will dwell with his children. The children will dwell with the Father. And he himself will wipe everyone's tear and grief and sorrow. And this is the final work of Elijah, Lord. 
He will turn the hearts of the children back to the father. And the hearts of the fathers back to the children. They will not. Until otherwise you will come and curse the land. And I pray Lord, this is a time. We believe while all this is happening, these terrible things are happening around the world, you are also turning the hearts of the children back to the father. The hearts of the fathers back to the children. There is a work of God taking place, O oh Lord. There is a work of God taking place, unseen. Unseen. The prodigals are coming back home. They are coming back home. They have come back to their senses. And they are tracing their way back home. And they are t- thinking about their father. Their father in heaven. Who is righteous. Who is just. Who is kind. Who is compassionate. And whose laws, who rules are not a burden. They are light. They are coming back. They are coming back Lord. They are coming back. To the father's house. And each one will hear the father's voice. And they will go from the Father's house and fulfill their purpose. They will move on with God, not alone anymore. The world behind them. God will lead them. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God shall be called the sons and daughters of God. That's our destiny, Lord. That's our destiny. No more people of two opinions but led by our Father. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Into thy hands, Father, I commit the church. For you yourself said, no man can pluck you from the Father's hands. That's the only safe place, the hands of the Father. Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your work. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you. Let them be liberty in the lives of people today. Let them walk free from Shechem. Free. Unburdened. Free. No guilt. No shame. Let them walk free. Thank you, thank you, Lord, thank you. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.